Talking industry, topical debate from the world of engineering, automation, and manufacturing. A DFA manufacturing media production. Energy efficiency at net zero. Part one. Brought to you by Smart Futures. The latest news from the only online portal dedicated to the future of digitalization. Visit smartfutures.org.uk. Okay, uh, well, a very warm welcome, uh, and it is a warm welcome from me because this is an outside broadcast um, from Marina di Massa in Italy for me. So uh, it's pushing uh, 90 degrees Fahrenheit here, if we're allowed to talk Fahrenheit. My name is Andy Pye. I'm consultant editor at DFA Manufacturing Media, and I'm joined by my colleague, Aaron Blutstein, who is editor of Smart Futures and um, PWE. So we have a number of uh, print and online publications relevant to the subject that we're talking about today, which is energy efficiency and manufacturing's net zero challenge. And to help me with that discussion, um, we have four excellent speakers who I will introduce in a moment in reverse order. So um, just by way of introduction, um, the, the net zero challenge um, obviously is globally important, but we cannot overlook um, manufacturing industry's role. It's, it's not the biggest uh, contributor, but it's a significant one. And <clears throat> we dug out some figures from 2019 where we found that uh, net greenhouse gas emissions just in the UK are 450, uh, just north of 450 million tonnes of carbon dioxide equivalent, which is, uh, which is a big number. And in fact, we've originally expressed those in, um, in an American unit, which was, um, which was cubic tonnes, which was an interesting thing, but uh, we've converted it now. Um, so, so manufacturing um, represents about 11% of, um, of the total. So as a collective, you know, we, we need to invest and promote new technologies to uh, make our contribution. And perhaps in passing, we might talk about some of the other sort of large contributors as well and, uh, and what can be done about that. So um, to help us with this, we've got four speakers and... Um, uh, last but not least, let me say, Chris Hallam, who is, uh, who I think, is a self-expressed veteran now of, uh, of talking industry, and he'll be talking about leak detection as a specific um, contributor to the problem and, uh, and how you go about detecting and repairing compressed air leaks. Prior to that, we'll have William Bridgman, who's chairman of Warren Services, um, and he's passionate about new business products and services to uh, to to contribute to the to the solution so he'll tell you all about what warren services does and how they contribute and specifically he'll be talking about data driven decision making um, which is a subject dear to our hearts um, all of those of us who are wedded to uh, the progress of industry 4.0 and uh, manufacture um, manufacturing 4.0 maintenance 4.0 or whatever um he'll, he'll be looking at um, some uh, applications of data-driven decision making 
Um, and in second place, we have Gareth Jones, who is um, new to ABB, but has been a friend of ours for, well, an embarrassingly long time in some cases. Um, and he'll be talking about a number of things, but specifically about an energy efficient movement, efficiency movement, um, which is a group of organizations working together uh, to find ways to reduce their uh, carbon emissions. And it's not, it's not a proprietary thing. Any company can, can uh, join it. So I, I think that's going to be a very sort of interesting and valuable ent um, initiative. Um, and to start with, uh, we have uh, Marie Wells, uh, who is Head of Sustainability at the Manufacturing Technology Centre. Um, and she's going to introduce the idea of how, as manufacturers, we can reach carbon neutrality. Um, so she'll explain in a couple of seconds um, how the MTC is working to meet its own sustainability targets um, and aiming to reach carbon neutrality by 2023. So that's an ambitious target. And also how can the organization help manufacturing companies on their own journey. So without any more ado, I'll hand over to Marie. Hi, so first of all, um, and I apologize if I'm teaching anyone to suck eggs here, but I'll, I'll start with uh, what is carbon neutrality versus net zero. So I often hear the terms used interchangeably. When we say carbon neutrality here, we're meaning to pass standard 2060, which means it's encompassing our scope one and our scope two emissions. So scope one emissions is anything you directly burn. So your gas usage, your fuel, and any fugitive emissions from process. And um, scope two is your electricity. So your indirect emissions, it can also involve heating and cooling networks. Whereas net zero also encompasses scope three, which is everything else, which is everything you buy, everything you lease, everything, everything, your commuting, your business travel. It's huge. So for the MTC, our carbon footprint, 79.9% on our current estimation, is um, our scope three. But does not necessarily fall in the energy efficiency category because that's all within our scope one and two locus of control. And it's definitely the easiest place to start. So me and my role, I have two hats. One, what uh, can we do to help industry? But two, how do we make sure we're leading by example? So first thing for me was trying to figure out where we were so this past year in my current role, it's been a bit of a gap analysis, really. One of the first things I did was ask everybody across the business over a weekend to turn everything off. Now that sounds really, really basic, but there was quite a big fear around certain machines. Oh, if we turn it off, we're gonna have a struggle turning it back on. Blah, blah, blah. So I said, okay, we won't turn off the things that have got justification for being left on, but if you can't justify it, it's turning off. And we found we could save 90k a year from doing that and then putting in systems, just visual management systems that said, when this isn't being used, turn it off. We saved 100 and odd k this year in our electricity just from doing that. In terms of a carbon neutrality, though, 
our biggest challenge is what we do instead of our gas. So we are looking at what's the best answer in terms of heat pumps or um, hydrogen, which I think we've discounted at this point, solar, thermal, and combined systems. So we are, and I, I'm sort of owning this, we will need to offset a little bit. You are allowed to offset under PAS standard to be carbon neutral. However, we intend to have the technology to replace our gas systems defined by 2023 and therefore have a set offset period in which we are accounting for that while the infrastructure change happens. We've also identified that actually we didn't use our fleet extensively enough and we're looking at are there ways of using shared fleet with other businesses. There's quite a lot you can do with collaboration and industrial symbiosis. So um, on site, uh, there are various businesses and we've been talking to the other members on site about what initiatives we could do together and how we can help each other to move on the journey. And that can be little things from community garden initiatives to microgrid are all on the table for discussion at the moment. And I think that's quite an exciting place to be. Also, you find people have got better at different areas. For me, because it's a system, there are nine planetary boundaries. Carbon is one. We are exceeding four. The others are biodiversity, land use, and phosphorus and nitrogen loading. And what I found really, really fascinating, I did a project recently on aerospace, and um, we were looking at the carbon footprint so the very, very top level of the whole thing. And yes, 80% of, of flights is the in-use phase. But if you just take manufacturing, 80% of the carbon footprint is extraction of raw material and materials processing. So if we can get better at what we use and more efficient about what we use in terms of not just energy, but material, uh, waste, etc. We and we start using secondary materials, things that have had a life before, then we could really, really sort of move the needle. And I've probably gassed more than I should at this point. No, I think that's absolutely perfect. And um I think it's a good opportunity actually to bring in our other speakers immediately because um you know what you've said sort of applies to everybody, doesn't it? Even even people who aren't specifically in manufacturing, there's um, no doubt a lot that they can do too. You know, your your colleagues on the same site, for example, might be in all kinds of different um, activities. So I thought that let's do a quick run round to find out what what our other speakers are up to in this in this area and progress it from there. I mean, my first question would probably be about prioritising. You know, certainly in the in the manufacturing sector, you know, if, if I were running an aluminium smelter, I've got huge problems compared to, um, you know, somebody who may be making something much less energy intensive. How do you go about that prioritising process when you advise your clients? So in terms of what we've done, first it was putting in the right things to measure. So we currently measure carbon footprint, water footprint and waste intensity. We're also trying to figure out how to measure our biodiversity percent of projects that have a 
tangible, sustainable impact and social value. But what we've been doing is, so things like the shutdown, figuring out what our quick wins are, but while we're doing the things that we can actually do, sort of under, doing the understanding piece alongside. So a lot of bits been around uh, data capture and um, understanding in usage. So how do we know what our carbon footprint is if we don't actually know what we're getting from where? Um, and that's been really interesting, particularly in the waste piece. What I'd say is data's key to enabling circular economy and to enabling our transition, but data has a carbon footprint. So it's the right data, a server and a sensor or whatever still have to have an end of life route and a design route themselves. Mm. Put that one in there that's a bugbear of mine <laughs> and andy could i just comment yeah i i was going to invite you because i saw you were nodding so the, uh... the um one thing when uh, marie was saying is a book that i i'm quite an avid book listener not a book reader but as donut economics by kate rayworth that really explained to me that the, the whole we always think of sustainability is you know, it's about our apprenticeship program it's about financial sustainability it's about you know what impact we're having on wildlife but that book really brought it home to me you know and i'm not the cleverest person in the world it's a really simple way to understand you know the planetary boundaries that we're currently breaching and the ones that we're not breaching that we're quite close to breaching so mm. but i could say just i don't want to spoil what i say in a minute on my talk but yeah the the data-driven piece the carbon footprinting uh, we've invested quite heavily in say electric vehicles actually they don't have that much of an impact but from an external person looking in, it's part of the package of things we did. But, you know, for us now, it's very much gas focused. You know, we can't, you know, it's, it's about looking what's actually going to make a difference. And I'll, I'll say to Maria as well, 90% of ours is scope three. So we will be carbon neutral by 2023 or the end of 2023, which is I think it's pretty good for a manufacturing company that uses a lot of power, but we will have to do a little bit of offsetting. But our thing is we want to use the minimum offsetting and then have a plan to drive that down to zero. But the big thing is the, is the scope three, because you've got to deal with 300 suppliers. This Talking Industry episode is brought to you by Smart Futures. The latest news from the only online portal dedicated to the future of digitalization. Visit smartfutures.org.uk. Yeah, and the, the accuracy that you can get, I, I, I presume, uh, with the calculations, you know, something we were talking a little bit about, I guess, before we came on. Can I... you know, you know, how accurate can you be with those scope three calculations? There must be a lot of um, approximation. Well, if everyone measured their scope one and their scope two, the scope three would fall out of it. But yes. people aren't. You know, I, I, I truly believe the government, we need a bit of carrot and stick. That actually the mandatory reporting at over 250 employees, which obviously some of the bigger companies have to do, we should be pushing that down as fast as possible into, you know, all businesses. Some businesses won't like that. But actually scope one and scope two is just simple maths. An accounts department can generate 
scope one and two from your electric bills and your gas bill. You don't need a consultant or a specialist. It's pretty simple stuff. Sorry, I just wanted to ask Maria, just a quick quick question really about um, supply chains because supply chains and transport exposes manufacturers you know, to the emissions of others. Um, therefore, are you, are, do you think that we're going to see a reshoring um, and local production and sourcing more, is it, is it like more likely in the future that, um, that manufacturers uh, to, achieve, to achieve net zero or to at least attempt to are going to have to look at local sourcing and, and, other, and other options? I think some local sourcing definitely will help and I do think uh, reshoring in, is going to be part of that especially when you bring in in the sort of industrial symbiosis piece and the my waste is your gold and start to build those loops because when you create a product sort of 80% of its carbon footprint is designed at design stage. So if you are then saying, well, I want secondary materials, you need to be ensuring that secondary material supply, and that's only going to be easier within a country, especially when you start talking about some of the more obscure uh, materials. Yeah, I mean, especially for food production, that's yes. more likely there. Yep. But also we need to be very careful of, Shipping has an impact, you know, about 2%, but actually per product, it's not as a big effect. Actually, I think the fact that energy grid is a lot greener in the UK than, say, India, is have much more of an impact than the shipping. Shipping is a very, the international shipping system is very, very, very efficient from a carbon footprint point of view. It can do a lot better because it does burn bunker fuel and da da da. But actually, per item, I think the fact that we've got one of the greenest grids in the world, and hopefully it's going to get greener and greener and greener, that that will have a bigger impact rather than the actual transport. Because most of the transport embedded carbon within the transport system is the lorry that moves it from the port to where you need. So if you're moving it from Scotland to, I don't know, London could have much more of an impact than the container ship from China to like Thames Gateway. You know, it's looking, but until you do the analysis, you don't know. What about the, the cost though? I mean, because obviously manufacturers are going to be looking at both, you know, the, the sustainability, energy efficiency, net zero, but also they'll be looking at the cost. And if they think that actually the cost is cheaper to reshore to produce locally then that might actually be the yeah. I, I, I think there's lots of reasons to reshore you know closer to your customer much more agile products are changing faster but actually the cost of shipping is 10 times or it's coming back down again now but in three years time that won't be an issue the amount of large container ships that have been ordered if you look at global orders we're going to have a crash back down in container shipping prices but I think lots of smart companies want to be closer to the customer, more quick to react, I think is probably more of a driver than the, the cost. Okay. Uh, can I just interject something? Um, another sort of, um, thank you for that on transport, that's sort of brilliant. Um, but a thing on the amount of energy uh, that I meant to allude to earlier, um, so there's a, a project out of Cambridge and various other universities called the UK Fires Project, which looked at how much 
um, renewable energy there will be on the system and carbon capture they'll be on the system uh, by 2050, looking at technology uptake curves in a crisis. And um, they suggest that we'll have about 70% of the electricity we need, taking into account that a lot of things are going to be electrified to move away from gas um, in 2050. So um, you can account for your electricity in two ways. One is through what's called transactional of um, no, no location-based analysis, which is taking into account your country, just going, this is the grid in our country, so this is how much I'm using. Or you can use market-based, where you say, I'm paying for a fully renewable tariff, so actually my carbon's zero. But that fact that we may have less energy means we still have to focus on that efficiency, even if we are sourcing purely renewable energy. Now, costs are currently making that true as well. So, um, but I thought it was a point I hadn't made, which I wanted in there. Thank you. It's, it's very important that people understand that, you know, solar power electric, which we're big proponents of, isn't zero. It's got a carbon impact to the panel of installing the panel, of buying the inverter, of utilizing the grid to export. So it's, it's people, you know, but also when people buy power, it's like, does the company actually got a PPA for the renewables? Do they own the renewable? Is it a credit-based system? There's lots of levels of, you know, renewable energy, what you're actually getting. So, yeah, I mean, that's, that comes out in um, um, the, the electric car, doesn't it? And the battery system, you know, it's a, it's a very complicated ecosystem to, to unravel. Gareth, I, I noticed you wanted to pop in. So um, yeah, so I think you know the discussion on energy efficiency is really relevant. Um, and the if you think of an electric motor, your typical electric motor in industry before the current energy crisis, the cost of the energy, sorry, the cost of the electric motor was typically about three percent of the cost of the total lifetime cost of running that motor. So what's the energy efficiency opportunity really to to green the equipment, you know, to um, run that equipment more efficiently and save a, a whole load of um, energy costs as well as reducing your carbon footprint is enormous. Well, we'll come, we'll come on to that in just a second, Gareth, when, when you do your presentation. I know you've got uh, a huge amount to cram into your five minutes, but just before <laughs> we do, uh, Chris, um, I, I know you're going to talk about um, the specific case of compressed air leakage later on but what what do you do as a company you know uh, as a, as a relatively small company in terms of measuring your own situation so yeah well with our company a lot of our stuff is home office based so what we're doing when we're servicing a lot of our customers needs and things like that it's a lot of traveling um and obviously before covid and uh, things like that we'd always be going out to sites visiting the users maybe having to go back multiple times for example depending on certain parameters after certain discussions and we found ways of working more efficiently like we have been today for example yes. pre-covid even though zoom did exist before covid it was something not used traditionally we would have been together as a group physically where we would have all had to find some form of public transport or drive to get together to do these sort of things where now these are being run more efficiently and what we're finding now is by utilizing technology like this as such to have those pre-meetings for example to then actually avoid having to then go out and travel long distances hundreds of miles 
maybe by, by planes, other types of transport as well, um, to have those sort of meetings where we can fit around the parameters, discuss what's required, and actually in some instances, avoid having to actually travel at all um, as such, which is one of the things I think that um, COVID has given us in a way, as industry is wide, is that a way of being more efficient. There is less travel. People are traveling less on planes to do things internationally, for example. You know, you might have people, companies where they've people flying in from the Americas, from Asia, all into one central location with a large carbon footprint. Nowadays, that seems to be much less. Um, but we're also focusing a lot on the manufacturing side of these things, because all of these, you know, new drives in different ways of doing things still have a manufacturing carbon footprint. And it's trying to find those efficiencies there to help them improve the way they do those things. And of course, I'll go on to that a bit later anyway. Yeah, well, we'll, we'll look forward to that. You're, you're dead right about talking industry. I mean, there was one example where we had four speakers and every one of them was in a different country. And it would have been, you know, not just an energy waste, but almost physically impossible to set up. So I, I think it's starting to expose, I suppose it's a, a hidden benefit of COVID in a way. It's exposing some... Uh, some benefits that we perhaps should have all been doing all along, but but because we had to, now we're treating it as part of the norm. Gareth, time for you, I think, to okay. uh, to take us through the energy efficiency group. All right, thanks a lot, Andy. So, you know, AVB, a big multinational company, um, the sort of areas where we operate touch a lot of a lot of um, energy, both generation and also usage. So, you know, we're in industry, we're in commerce, we're in utilities, and we're you know, right back to power generation. So a core mission of ABB has been to enable low carbon society through technology and innovation. So that's kind of the, where we're coming from. Now we can't do that alone. And we need to help people, help industry, help manufacturers to understand what's possible. And so we've taken a, an opportunity here really to bring together the, the key stakeholders and we've created something that we call the energy efficiency movement now the energy efficiency movement is a anybody can join it so at the moment you know we have microsoft in there we have alpha laval abb obviously but um you know it'd be great for example to have the mtc in there and, and the other panelists on this call for them to join it and really what it involves is that you you make a commitment in terms of what your targets are for reducing energy usage and it's an, an area where you can share information, collaborate, and develop solutions. And it's a global network, so it, it goes beyond the UK boundaries, so we can look at best practice around the world. And really, you know, what's behind that is a push to turbocharge, push to net zero. So I think that's, that's, that's kind of at the core of what we're doing, and then we're supplementing that with, with how else we can help people to reduce energy. So we're doing something called energy snapshots, and this is where we'll go into a customer We'll look at what energy usage applications they've got, particularly around motors. Motors tend to use about 70% of all energy within industry, um, or up to 70%. So we'll go in and we'll look at the, energy, the motors that they've got and how those motors have been applied. And we'll apply our expertise to help them to update technology, to renew technology that can help them reduce those, um, those uh, costs. You know, and, and right now, because of the cost of energy doubling, that's really made those paybacks, you know, made those savings so much more relevant. I've got an example here where we looked at, um, it's a dust extraction fan in the quarry and the, the typical costs of running that a year ago was 24,000. Now it's more like 50,000. 
That's based on 21 pence per kilowatt hour, which I think is probably still a little bit low. And the paybacks come down from two years, four months down to one year, five months for one motor. So the opportunities there are huge. Beyond that, we're looking at how we can elevate the role of sustainability managers within businesses. So, you know, if you go onto LinkedIn, you can probably find about 10,000 job openings for sustainability and energy managers across industry. But right now, often these roles don't have the clout that they need to actually make a difference. And so we're looking at how we can promote those roles within businesses. You know, these are really change management roles and they can have a key push to, to enable that. And then the final thing which I wanted to mention really was, okay, once you've installed your energy efficient plant, you know, how do you ensure that that stays energy efficient? And so one of the things we're doing there is we're looking at IoT enabled smart sensors connected to clouds. We've got our own kind of cloud solution, which we call the ability platform, which allows you to monitor the performance of that and actually to pick up any issues, not just in the, the core, you know, motor and the drive system, but actually beyond that into the mechanical system and the machine and ensure that that's all running as efficiently as it possibly can and pick up any problems that occur. This Talking Industry episode is brought to you by Smart Futures, the latest news from the only online portal dedicated to the future of digitalization. Visit smartfutures.org.uk. Thank you for listening to Talking Industry. Stay tuned for part two across all podcast apps, Follow us on social, subscribe to our newsletters and keep up to date at talkingindustry.org.